Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mel Herbert here. It's uh, Elon today. Yeah, I know, it's been a minute or two or three. Turns out that the little virus uh, really affected things here at the Talking Tesla Elon Today uh, network. Um, I've been very busy doing doctory things and textbooky things and live events for the doctors and the nurses and ah, but it has uh, calmed down a lot and I got my Model Y. <laughs> Yay! And I want to give you a first impression. I've had it for about 24 hours. So I want to give you a first impression. But first, I've also had a lot of people asking for me to do a COVID update here on uh, the Elon Daily as well, where we stand and all that stuff. So let me go through that, what we know right now. So um, places are opening up. And the big question that I'm getting asked to talk about is, is it safe? Uh, what's the deal here? It depends what you define as safe. So the idea of flattening the curve, this idea of physical distancing, wearing masks, washing your hands, doing all this stuff, crashing your economy, was to flatten the curve, to reduce the rate of rise of cases, because that would overwhelm the healthcare system as we saw in New York, Chile, Spain, um, all over the place. And if that happens throughout lots and lots of hospitals and all the healthcare workers are getting sick at the same time, you're basically going to crash the economy anyway. So you have to make this very difficult decision. Okay, we want to flatten the curve, slow that down so that we can get the N95 masks and the PAPAs and all of this equipment that we need and free up hospital beds and open up tents and do all this stuff. But everybody has known that you at some point have to open up the economy again because there's obviously a lot of health effects, a lot of economic effects, a lot of tragedy occurs when you specifically do that. So it is not unreasonable for now to be opening up. But you have to sort of have this dial. You've got to open up uh, enough so that you can get the economy going, but not so much that you have these big explosions of cases and you overwhelm your healthcare system again. And then people can't go to the emergency department because there's no beds. And if you're in a car accident, you can't get into an emergency department. And it's just a disaster. So you really have to open it up. And the thing that I watch is not actually the number of cases, because that's really dependent on how many tests you do, but how many admissions to the hospital, how many free hospital beds, how many free ICUs. They're the metrics that give you an idea as to where you stand. So even though you might have a significant number of increased cases in your state or in your local area, that's not a big deal if your hospital has the capacity to look after that with some significant wiggle room. There are places in the country right now where they are about to outstrip that again. Arizona looks like it's going to run out of ICU beds if they're not very, very careful. There are places in California where that is also occurring. And that's when you have to like, okay, everybody, physical distance again. We're going to shut it down again. You really don't want to do that because people are burnt out and then it becomes a psychology game. From the data that we have right now, and this again, a lot of this is pre-peer-reviewed stuff. Um, so you've got to be careful, and so you have to do this in a Bayesian way. This is what we think, but it could change. It really looks like this virus is affected by UV light and by being outdoors. So we've had these protests, uh, been very inspiring, and yet there doesn't look like there has been a big spike from those protests. It's a bit hard to follow them, but it doesn't look like that happened. So it does appear, from that and other evidence, that being outside with that UV light, with the dilution of uh, you know the wind blowing, of that virus, it appears that that is somewhat protective. Exactly how protective, we're not sure. And it does appear, though, on the other hand, that being indoors in cooler climates is where the virus really likes to take off. So if you're in a church, 
if you're in a synagogue, if you're in a big rally, and if you're circulating that air, and it's a bit cooler, then that's the potential for significant amounts of spread. We're still trying to get our heads around the fact that some places like New York explode and California doesn't, although our cases are going up. We didn't have this huge rapid explosion. They had the same in Chile. Um, in Santiago, in Chile, it's very much like New York. There's lots of people who take the subway. It was in winter, and um, lots of people live in apartment buildings. Very similar situation exploded in Chile. Lots of colleagues down there saying like their hospitals are completely overwhelmed, just overwhelmed, bodies in the hallways kind of stuff. We haven't found any magic therapies yet. You may have heard about uh, remdesivir. It has some effect, maybe, although that study was a little bit um, biased in the fact that in the randomization there were less sick people in the treatment arm than the non-treatment arm. And we've been hearing about dexamethasone, which uh, makes logical sense, but we haven't seen the paper yet, so I can't tell you from a scientific point of view how well randomized it was, which subgroup it's going to work in. So we are really dying to get that uh, data out. We've only heard snippets of it through the newspapers and stuff, which is no way to do science. Hopefully that will be useful. We really need an antiviral in terms of vaccine. It will be a miracle. Uh, well, not quite a miracle, but it'll be unbelievable if we get a vaccine by the end of the year. And certainly unbelievable if we can get a vaccine that works and is proven safe and can be widely distributed by the end of the year. It just takes time to do that. Uh, process to then test that because the real concern is that uh, there have been vaccines in the past where you basically prime the immune system. So you have the vaccine, you're like, oh, I should be good now. But then if you actually get exposed to the actual virus, your immune system can explode and you can be much sicker. So that's one of the things they're worried about with a the vaccine. There can be other side effects as well. That's why it takes time because you do it in like 20 people. Is it okay? And then you do it in 500 people. Is it okay? Then you do it in 10,000 people. And then you've got to follow those people over time. And then you've got to see if it works by having the vaccine in a place where there's actually virus out there and studying to see if it's actually reducing the people getting infected. And then you've got to ask the question, well, how long does it last? We still don't know how long, even if you're exposed and you get sick and then you get better, how long those antibodies are going to last. Other coronaviruses, unfortunately, a lot of the time don't last that long, uh, maybe last a year. There's some reports, again, not peer-reviewed, you know, all that stuff, that suggest that maybe this could only be a few months. If that's true and the vaccine is also the same way, then this is really going to change our lives for a long time. Does this mean we have to get vaccinated every quarter? It could really change the way uh, we do society, but that is very speculative. The best evidence we have right now from the early vaccine data is that there are some candidates, there's about 130 or more out there. There's a, some candidates that look like they probably going to produce pretty good immunity and stop this thing, how long it lasts. I'm hoping at least a year, so it could be like a flu shot. I wish I had more and better updates we actually stopped doing our live shows. We were doing them every week for the docs and the nurses because we've sort of gotten to the steady state now. There's nothing much new happening. We've kind of got a, a bit of a feel about how this goes down. But we are, frankly, holding our breath for the fall here in North America. As the temperatures go down, as people go back inside, as uh, people start using the trains and doing all the usual stuff, and flu season starts, it could be really quite bad again. In fact, some experts are predicting that it will be, you know, quite bad. So people are stocking up, the hospitals are stocking up on their N95s and stuff, and they're not taking down the tents and all the extra capacity because they're worried that they might need it in this second stage, which could occur within a few months. 
So I implore you as uh, the physician, one of the physicians on the program, when you go out, go out, do that thing, go see family, go see friends, wear masks. If you're shopping and doing that stuff, that's to reduce, if you're a, an asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic carrier, that stops you spreading it as much, those respiratory droplets. It doesn't really prevent you getting it very much. It might a little bit, but not very much. It's more about if you're an asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, you're less likely to infect somebody else. If they're wearing the mask, they're less likely to infect you. You're less likely to infect grandfather, grandmother, and that's what it's really about. And why this has become so politicized uh, is a whole other story, but it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Such a simple thing. You know, reading these things about, you know, the greatest generation sent their daughters and their sons to go fight in uh, this war. They did incredible things and gave up so much stuff. And we are asked to do things like just stay about six feet apart and wear a mask. And we can't even do that. It's not political. It's science and it's selfish not to do that. And it's driving me crazy. Just how hard is it to wear a mask to reduce the chance that you might infect me or I might infect you if I am carrying this virus? It is ridiculous. I've rant over. Let me get into uh, the Model Y. A bit more fun and exciting. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, got the Model Y yesterday. And let me tell you about the delivery. So, you do all the paperwork online. And uh, then, basically, when you get there, they... They have you log into your app, magically your uh, car appears, you go over, you unlock the car, you do a bit of inspection, I'll tell you more about that in a second, so do an inspection, because there's been real problems with these early Model Ys, just like there was with Model 3, and then you fill out the paperwork, you go back, you hand them the paperwork, uh, you get in your car, boom, you drive off, they've left the keys in there for you, the cards, right? So I inspected the car, and you can, if you're getting one, go online because uh, a lot of people have had a lot of problems with these early builds, as you would expect, but almost as bad as Model 3, which is a bit concerning. We thought because they're using 75% of the parts that there wouldn't be as many problems, but there have certainly been some problems. So you can actually go online. Various people have published lists to help you sort of walk around the car and look at panel gaps and check a lot of stuff. So I did that and everything looked pretty good. In fact, I was very impressed. It looked like no significant panel gaps. The doors are a little bit off, but everything else looked pretty good. I brought it home and there's actually a video of this on the Talking Tesla website where I'm comparing three and why. And then my son opened the back door and then went to close it. And the window, when you open up the Tesla door, the window comes down a little bit, it disengages, and then the door will open. And then when you close the door, What's supposed to happen is that window is down, you close the door and then it scoots up automatically. So what happened is the door opened, but um, the window went to its full height. So when he went to close the door, it put a big scrape along just above the door line there and could have snapped off the window. And when I go online, this has happened to a number of people and some of them, it's actually popped it off its rails and then the door glass has fallen down. So this was a problem actually with one of my S's back in the day that the actuator or whatever it is to put the window up and down it doesn't work sometimes. So that's a bit of a problem. So they're coming on Tuesday to fix that problem. So that is the only real issue I've found so far, but it's a bit of a downer because if your windows don't work, then you really can't drive the car very well because it's either going to be down and lots of wind noise or, you know, snapping off and coming off the rails. Huge problem. Other people have had problems with the lift gate where it's not uh, closing properly 
And like I said, a lot of panel gap issues and paint issues. I haven't noticed any paint issues and I love the Chrome Delete. So uh, what about the, the internal guts of the car? Again, if you want to compare three and Y, go on to the Talking Tesla YouTube channel and I have uh, my, my Model 3 and my Model Y next to each other and I go through it. And the short story is that the Model Y has a substantial amount of extra space inside. It's really, you know, I've like you have been obsessive and looked at lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of videos, but it's not until you really uh, get the car that you see just how much room with that hatchback and the ability to drop those seats, tremendous amounts of space in there. I'm a golfer and, uh, you know, it's been really hard to stick my golf clubs in the three. Um, now it is just like so simple to do when there's so much extra room and the frunk is substantially bigger on the Y than it is on the 3. So internally, huge amount of space. The front of the car inside is very much Model 3. You, you couldn't tell the difference really. Um, but it, the ride height is fantastic. It sits right up high. It feels like an X. It feels like an X except the suspension is a little tighter. So it handles um, better than the X. Doesn't handle as well as the 3, and it doesn't accelerate as fast. I don't have performance editions of any of the cars, but it doesn't accelerate as fast, but it's still a wicked fast car, and I just love the way it sits up. I've already fallen in love with it. Like, this is the car that I've wanted from the beginning, since I first started getting electric cars, I don't know, eight years ago, when I first got my Leaf. This is the sort of the way I want to ride. I like that SUV height, uh, the way you sit up, you have a much better vision of things. Not everybody does. Robert doesn't like that. He likes a more standard sedan type car. But this is the car. I got to tell you, this is the car. With the huge amount of room that's in there, with the ride height, just, just this is the car for me. If they could get the price of this car down, it's going to be such a huge seller. It's going to be a huge seller anyway. I think it is the best by far of all of the Teslas by far, except for the windows. Thank you very much. But still, and it's an expensive car. I mean, even if you don't get full self-driving and stuff, and I don't load this car up, I don't get performance or anything, but you know, this is a $65,000 car after in somewhere like California, where you've got eight or 9% tax and tip and all the other stuff that they put on there. If you you get the full self-driving for $7,000, which I did, and Tom's going to make fun of me. But the reason I got it on this car is that I think the price is going to continue to go up. And I think, you can quote me on this, that this could potentially be the last car I ever buy. And why do I say that? Because if the robo network really happens, then I probably will stop owning cars, or at least we won't be a multiple car family. We'll be a single car family. And then when we need it, if the robo thing really works out, then there'll be no reason for me to have a car. I don't drive that much. And I could just say, well, I just need a Model Y today because I'm going to play golf or I'm going up the coast and just use it and then have it go back to the network. That's where the future potentially could be. It could be like that. So if that's true and if that is three years away, I still find that hard to believe. The autonomous driving is really good, but it's going to have to get so much better. But let's say it's three years away, then um, I don't know if I'll buy a car again. I think it could, you know, I've talked about it many times. This could really change Car ownership, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, our cars, not just mine, your cars, everybody's car, sits there and does nothing. And you're paying tens and tens of thousands of dollars for something that just sits there. So it will be interesting. Now, the only thing that might change this is that if that battery day, they say, you know, we've got way cheaper, 
way more energy dense city batteries and we've decided that one of the things we're going to do is have a version of all of the cars that gets over 400 miles x y 3 s they already have it in the s epa rated uh, range now in the s here in the united states is just over 400 miles that did for a second make me think about not getting the Y and getting an S, but it's the form factor of the Y that won out over the range. But I would love to have, love to have 400 mile range, which in the real world on freeway driving might be 350, which would be just about enough, just about enough. I'd like to see it a little higher than that, but that's pretty close. So if they have a Model Y, if they decide in a year that they're going to come out with a Model Y with 400 plus mile range with the new battery, then I might trade this puppy in and get that and call that one my last car. We have been seeing reports of a Model 3 with a 100 kilowatt hour battery. And uh, this is certainly, well, Elon has said this. there's no plans for production on this because if they said that, there'd be a whole bunch of people like me that would not buy until it came out. So you've got to be very careful about that. But I'm sure they are testing it. In fact, we know they are testing it. And there's been some hackers that have seen this in the software. That would bring Model 3 over 400 miles. So that would be substantial. And then they could put that in the Model Y and have that at over 400 miles or close to 400 miles. That would be so, so cool. That would be a huge seller. And if they've got that battery cost down substantially, so you didn't increase the price of the car, why not? I think they should have two variants. They should have the standard 75 kilowatt battery, kilowatt hour battery, and then 100 or 100 plus kilowatt hour. And just let stupid people like me pay the extra. And then... Bring the cost of these cars down. We really want to get the cost of these cars, Model 3 and X in particular. We can test them. They can bring them down to, you know, a reasonable 40000 and then 30000 and then maybe come out with another version of them that's even less than that in the $20,000 range so we can get rid of all the ICE cars. And it looks like these batteries are going to last a million miles. I'm really excited about that. So the car, the Model Y, first impression, 24 hours. Love it. Just... Just love the way it rides, love the ride height, love the huge amount of room in there. This is the Tesla that I've always wanted. Again, go onto the YouTube channel and uh, the boys and I are going to get together sometime this week and do another Talking Tesla. They're going to drive the car and then I'm going to leave it sitting out there for two days so that Robert's COVID gets out of my car and uh, we'll get their impressions as well. But, But can I say again, this is the car. This is the car. If you like that crossover SUV sitting up tall, lots of space in there to throw whatever crap that you need to go carry around, this is the car, okay? And it charges at 250 kilowatts, unlike the X. I think this is going to kill X cells. Can I say that? Can I say that? The Y is so good. It's like it's like baby X and not that babyish. And it charges faster. Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name's Mel Hibbert, the show... Elon today, part of the talking network of shows. It's the network of shows. Talk to you soon.